as we come to the last evening of our retreat together, I know I'm feeling very filled up, filled up by all the experiences that have happened here and also the impact of the teachings. As the one of the teachers, I suppose one of the wonderful thing about wonderful wonderful things about teaching is that I also get to be impacted by the teachings and to be part of the whole experience that occurs. And so yeah, I feel so much has happened and very full sense of fullness here. And so I may not give a long talk tonight. I think we've had a lot happen today already and this whole week. But there's a few things that I'd still like to point to. And also tomorrow morning in our closing, we'll have a call our closing Dharma talk where we'll talk more about uh, integrating these teachings into our daily life. One of the things that I think a lot of people are concerned about as they leave a retreat, particularly a retreat like this where we've been acknowledging and recognizing kind of the goodness, really. I think it's the goodness of our being and the, the, good, the qualities that can be expressed from that goodness of who we are. And touching into that Heart. When we think of goodness, we might think of heartfulness. It's often spoken of in the teachings as the awakening of the heart when we come into this place of goodness. And one of the things many people are concerned about when they leave retreat is how can I hold on to this? You know, how can I, how, what can I do to, to bring this more fully into my life? And many of you, most of you, have already experienced coming into retreat and then leaving retreat, knowing that experience of, of going out back into the world. And many of you have done it many times. And you know that things change. And one of the things that becomes very apparent is that that personality that does become a little bit quieter and more subtle here on a retreat. We become more refined. Our experience becomes more refined when we're in this very refined environment. And then when we go back and reality is a little grosser, we can say, you know, that we start to come come together again in our personalities which we need to do because we need our strategies. We, at least we think we do and we believe we do at this point. And we probably do. <laughs> it's good to believe our strategies at this point. So we need our strategies to actually go back into the world so we can feel this coming together again of this personality. And we know that. Many of us, those of us who have come and into retreat and then gone out, we know that that happens. And I can remember when I was thinking and reflecting on this in my room a while ago, I had a memory of, of 
a few times really, but one time in particular when I was at a three-month retreat at the Insight Meditation Society in the early days of my practice. And as we started to begin the integration a little more and started having some contact with others, I just, I just could hardly bear it. I mean, and I was standing, I was, remember being in one of the halls in the back where some of the teachers would walk by, and I saw one of the teachers, and I just broke down. I said, I don't know how to go back into the world. It was so frightening, and it was so scary, because I knew <laughs> that I would arise again, and other eyes would arise <laughs> as well, and that it's, it's hard, it's painful, it's challenging a lot of the time when I come back into being, back into existence. And so that happens. We will, our personalities will arise again. And as I've been speaking about the personality, you know, particularly the unfree or the bound personality, the one that is still identified as a small limited self, is still caught up in in forces of greed and wanting, forces of, of uh, aversion and hatred, conflict, forces of confusion and ignorance. And that is what makes up our personality a lot of the time. So when we talk about holding on to the things that have happened, I don't think we can. We can't hold on. We can't hold on to the experiences. We can't hold on to those, uh, to the experiences of our own goodness, because those too are going to come and they'll go. They'll arise and they pass, as all conditioned things do. So then, what can we do? What do we do? I think one of the things that we learn as we practice this coming in, going into retreat, then out of retreat, is we learn not to be so afraid of our personalities arising. You know, we sort of go, okay, that's going to happen, and we have more, a little bit more acceptance around that uh, conditioned phenomenon. And we use the practice, we come back to the simple practice again and again of simply being conscious of what's arising. So therefore, the instruction that we receive again and again is to embrace all aspects of our personality as it arises. All aspects, the mental, the mind aspect, the um, physical, the body, the body, how the body's manifesting at any given time. Particularly people who have uh, uh, more um, disability or difficulties or chronic illnesses or whatever it is, it requires so much embracing with awareness of our present condition. The body, the physical body, or when we have ailments, or when we sprain an ankle, or we uh, have uh, uh, problems with our feet, or whatever it is, it takes so much to uh, embrace that with a real kindness and a tenderness, because it changes the way we'll be in our life. Embracing the emotional aspect of who we are. And this is, this is the area that we've been exploring probably more on this retreat than most retreats because we don't often have a lot of understanding of how to be with the strong forces of the emotional life that moves through. And what do we do with that? How are we with that? 
So the more that we're able to embrace the conditions that are arising, we might say, to suffuse our experience with awareness, with mindful attention, this is what brings about more self-understanding and deepening levels of awareness. This is a quote from uh, the Japanese Zen master Dogen from the 13th century. He says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be awakened with all things. So to study the self means that we start to see it for what it really is. We start to see that it's transient, that it's not so solid, that it has a, there's an empty, empty of solidity, quality. And as we begin to forget the self, because we're not taking ourselves quite as seriously, then we can be more available, we're more connected, we're more present, to be awakened by all things, to be intimate with all things. Those boundaries of how we know ourselves and who we take ourselves to be begins to break down and dissolve, and we don't feel as separate, as isolated, as confined. So the more that we take refuge in our awareness, in this capacity to know our experience, then we aren't leading in our life with our mind, with our thinking mind. We are taking this awareness or we're using this quality of awareness to actually look at the mind and look at the creation of the self. We are taking refuge in awareness itself rather than the changing conditions of this mind and this body, which, as we've been speaking about, are quite unstable because they don't stay the way we want them to. They're constantly changing. So when we take refuge in awareness, we let these conditions rise up and we let these conditions fall away, these conditions of the mind, the body, which make up the personality. This is a practice from Ajahn Sumedho, the wonderful, who was the abbot of uh, Amovati here in England, from the uh, Thai forest tradition, Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Chah was his teacher, still is, I suppose, even though Ajahn Chah isn't alive anymore. Ajahn Sumedho says, I used to make it a practice to play with the personality rather than merely trying to let go of it. To think I've got to get rid of my personality and not attach to my emotions is one of the ways we grasp the teachings of the Buddha. Instead, I would become a personality quite intentionally, so I could listen to and observe this sense of me and mine. He said, I would practice bringing up the thoughts, me? What about me? Don't you care about me? Aren't you interested in what I think and what I feel? These thoughts that would come up, he'd say, oh yeah, let me look at these. He said, and these are my things, this is my robe, these are my possessions, this is my bowl, my space, my view, my thoughts, my feelings, and my rights. I am Ajahn Sumedho. 
I am Mahatera, and I am a disciple of Lung Po Cha. I am, I am, I am. And on and on like that. This is what makes, then he'd go on, this is what makes me an interesting person, a person that has titles and is respected and admired in society. I would listen to that, he says. I would listen, not to knock it down or criticize it, because to recognize the power of the words and how I can create myself. And he says, and as I did this, I would more and more find the refuge in awareness rather than in the conditions of my personality, rather than in the fears and the self-disparagement and the megalomania or whatever else was happening to be operating in consciousness at that moment. Interesting, isn't it? So, so again, he, you know, not being afraid of the arising of this personality. It's like, wow, look at that. You know? I am Ajahn Sumedho, you know. <laughs> and if you met Ajahn Sumedho, you know him. He's a big <laughs> guy, you know, with a lot of wisdom and a lot of power and a, a lot of rights. <laughs> and so bringing that up and then just using the awareness, reflecting, the awareness almost becomes in contrast to that self-arising. So we take refuge. This is, this is the refuge that is reliable, that is stable for us. It's here, always accessible, unchanging. This knowingness, here and now, present moment knowingness, this is what brings self-understanding, not through denying the way our personality arises or trying to gift, convince ourselves that we're nothing. Have you done that one? You know, it's the nothing is happening school. You know, I'm nothing, there's nothing, nothing's happening. <laughs> it's, is that true? Realizing the way things are. This is from Emerson, the great poet. These roses under my window make no reference to former roses or to better ones. They are for what they are. They exist with God today. There is no time for them. Time, moving on. There is simply the rose. It is perfect in every moment of its existence. But people postpone and drift into memory. They do not live in the present, but with reverted eyes lament the past or heedless of the riches that surround them, stand on tiptoes to foresee the future. They cannot be happy and strong until they too live with nature in the present above time. (coughs) Until they too live with nature in the present, above time. So the teachings continually point us back here. That is the simplicity of our practice. That's what we hold on to. That's what we take with us. And as we sense into and feel and know more and more of present moment, then there isn't any 
anything else. There isn't anything other. It's only now. And I only have to be present and aware and attentive right now. I don't have to worry about where I was the last ten minutes or the last two weeks or the last six months. What about right now? When we wake up, again, it's just like in the meditation, that moment of waking up is our most successful moment. What am I going to do with that? I'm back. I'm here. Without then leaning into the future and worrying about, oh, can I sustain this and can I hold on to it? But I, 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 I let go of it for my practice for six months and I know I'm just going to blow it again. Come back. Here. What's happening now? What am I feeling now? Where am I standing now? Where, what's around me now? This is our refuge, taking refuge in awareness. That which is stable and reliable. And when I'm not bound up, clinging, identifying with these ideas, past, future, definition of who I am and who I take myself to be, who am I then? Who am I when I am not bound up in my habitual tendencies? Who am I? And I think this is really what we were exploring here this week too. It's like as those identifications and fixations of mind start to just open up a little bit, We're not so worried about what's happening or judging what's happening or concerned about our situation and our experiences. Something opens up. And who am I then? Who am I? I mean, somebody who is really angry about something really important in his life, let that anger just rage up and was really in it. And who am I then? I am this one who is just feeling this right here in the present moment and it's full and I'm rich and I'm whole and this is right and this is true and I'm right where I need to be it's not a calm or tranquil or spacious kind of experience in that moment but that's who I am that's what's filling the moment filling mindful with no judgment preference expectation self-image self-consciousness coming and saying oh that's not right maybe sometimes it's not right but sometimes it is right. So can we be with that? Who am I when I'm not caught up in the expectations and the shoulds about how I should be and how I expect myself to be and the demands and and the preferences for how I show up? But that I show up. I fully show up. I'm here. What you see is what you get. And this is what I mean when I'm talking about the qualities of the heart and the qualities of the awakeful mind, the wakeful, wakeful mind. That dynamism, that aliveness, that fullness, that contact with experience and life just as it is. And at one, whether we're in a difficult mind state or whether we're in a joyful mind state, something happens in that connection, in the fullness of what's occurring, that there's a whole element of the suffering that drops away. 
even the even the difficult emotions of a fear or anger or jealousy or grief sometimes grief can be difficult too whatever it is it's like it's when we when we meet it so fully that there's the suffering just seems to dissolve and it and it almost has the experience almost has kind of a quality of being bitter sweet it's like the sweetness is there with the bitterness it's like, it's like it, it it's mingled with the sweetness with the goodness with the quality of consciousness itself and we say at some in some way that this is actually a moment of temporary nibbana temporary freedom because we're not as bound up there's something in there that's free there's something in there that's released we're not completely identified with the condition in the moment of the mind or the body in that there's a there's a feeling which is the sweetness it's like a temporary nibbana or nirvana nibbana is the pali and nirvana is the sanskrit so what what is this just this nibbana then this word nibbana is so interesting because it's literally translated as to cease blowing to cease blowing those winds those forces are no longer blowing through it's or to or to become extinguished like a candle flame fire that just goes out there's something that goes out it's it's extinguished and in that we say there's a, a coolness nibbana is also called a coolness that comes about when we're not completely caught up in the the heat or the fire and this is the sweetness or the coolness or that that breath of fresh air that we can feel when we're not completely bound up in something this is from ajahn buddhadasa who was one of the great uh, teachers in thailand and a teacher of many of our teachers he says in the material world the word nibbana means the usual extinction of fire for example some boiled rice is still hot and a child calls out from the kitchen wait a while for it to become nibbana another example is when a goldsmith melts some gold and then pours water over it to cool it down once cooled the gold is used for gold ornaments and this becomes nibbana even the fierce animals caught from the forest and trained to be tamed like cats we say that we make them nibbana so so this word that where it comes from from the time of the buddha it is this cooling down cooling down of the fires cooling down of the fires of the of the greed and the hatred and the confusion and then we feel that the like a cool breeze flowing through us when we feel these moments of some freedom from the identification and the clinging and these moments are nourishing they're refreshing there's an element of peacefulness even within the experience of the emotion or whatever is occurring and why 
Why is it peaceful? Why is it nourishing in that moment? Because we're not reaching out. We're not reaching out. We're not grasping out for something else. But we can actually rest. There's a way we can just rest into what's happening and allow that to be as it is. The tanha, the the craving, the element, that factor of mind that causes so much pain and suffering, it cools, cools down. And we rest. We can feel more rested. So this temporary nibbana, this moment of recognition, of awareness, I also call it the pause that refreshes. Do you know the slogan for Coca-Cola? <laughs> I shouldn't advertise Coca-Cola. But you know the, the, the slogan is the pause that refreshes. And it's exactly the same with our mindfulness. It's the pause. When we pause in that way, there's a refreshment. It's the true refreshment. It's not the one that we have to reach out for or become addicted to. It's the true refreshment. So our practice becomes one of recognizing these times of innate contentment. Even this, where there's one level of clinging that has dropped away, where we can kind of feel like, yeah, this is right. This is right. And in that, in the sense of being right, then we can feel that contentment or that satisfaction that I am on the right track. I am going in the right direction. We feel a certain alignment with the way things are. We feel an alignment with ourselves that we're going in the right direction. As we recognize these times of innate contentment or this innate satisfaction that we're on the right track, we don't have to reach out for anything else, this actually plants a cellular memory of happiness or contentment. It plants the seed of recognition in the mind so that we actually can go back more easily to find a natural place to rest. It's like we start to recognize the field, the territory of happiness, of contentment, of sweetness, of freedom, or whatever it is. And we, the mind orients itself back to that resting place, which sometimes we call home coming home, being our natural place to rest. So we encourage this receptivity. It's like receive these moments. We so easily, particularly when we haven't been, when this hasn't been reflected back to us on a spiritual path, we might not even recognize these moments. You know, I feel at ease, I feel content, nothing's bothering me right now. We just take that for granted. But these are wonderful moments. These are wonderful moments when we feel this sense of well-being, this sense of ease, this sense of happiness. It means we're not being troubled by the mind, by these forces of the past or our conditioned forces. I mean, we want to recognize this, say, yeah, oh, this is really, 
really appreciate that I'm having a reprieve right now. Feel that and know that. Receive that. Receiving these moments of joy. My very, very first experience that I knew that there was something beyond suffering, I I remember it very, very well, was when I was in college. I was about... 19 or 20 years old and I was having a really hard time as maybe a lot of people that age do I mean life just seemed so complicated and so chaotic and so much pain and so much suffering and just didn't know any way out and I didn't have the Dharma and I didn't have a real spiritual teaching that was congruent to me and I remember going home for uh, the, the holiday, whatever it was, school holiday, and I remember being in the back garden and just lying down on a, a lounge chair in the sun, and, you know, just like so troubled. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, thank goodness, that's, you know, take a break, just lie in the sun. And I remember what happened in my consciousness very well that I was lying there and it was like the first kind of peak of awareness, the sort of the recognition of like oh yeah right now I'm not suffering wow actually right now I feel actually pretty good in my body I feel at ease it's like oh yeah and it was the first time there was that sense that real true recognition that there are moments separate from the what seems so solid a life that seems so solid, a person who seems so solid in their suffering. And it was the first crack, the first crack in consciousness that recognized there was freedom from that. The first moment where I really took that breath and said, right now I'm not bound up in that. (coughs) Right now I have this feeling of being free. And I really enjoyed it. It's like I consciously enjoyed it. I consciously laid there and I did the past did not come in and the future did not come in and I had moments of really full consciousness and full awareness of my well-being. And it's a very significant moment even though consciousness closed up and became very rigid and solidified quite a lot. But there was still that crack And I remember it. It's still very, very much in my memory. And it's very much like the story of the Buddha when he was a small child and he was sitting under the rose tree, rose apple tree. And he also had the recognition that there was pleasure that was beyond the pleasure of the senses. That he was not having to be engaged in all of his princely affairs and all the things that he had around him, but simply sitting quietly under the rose apple tree. A happiness arose in him, a pleasure arose in him that was not dependent on anything. It was only only dependent on what his own resources in in that moment. It was a happiness that was dependent on the consciousness the purity of consciousness that was present in that moment. And that memory, it said, 
that memory of when he was a young boy is the memory that came back to him after all of his years of asceticism and struggle and looking for what he knew was possible um, in a, as a liberated mind and a liberated life. And he remembered that. There is a pleasure, there is a happiness that is independent of all conditions. A happiness that is right here and right now. And so recognizing these moments, this independent contentment, not dependent on anything, anything in this world, happiness that is here for us right now, here and now. And so just even to check into your experience as we sit here, we have these amazing birds (laughs) serenading us. And when our consciousness is clear, when our consciousness isn't clouded by unnecessary things, as Ryokan says, when your mind is not clouded by unnecessary things, then we're here. We can tap into that independent happiness and contentment that arises just from the sound of a bird. Just sitting quietly together in a hall, listening to the Dharma. So this is our practice. It it continually comes back to such simplicity for us just to see if we can be here and then to see what's here when we're here. And if we can embrace the conditions that are arising, not to annihilate them, not to try to get somewhere else, not to try to create a state that is quiet, that is still, that is un, that's not noisy or chaotic. But the refuge of awareness that can actually embrace those conditions just as they are. And then this reality, this reality that is available to us then expands and deepens and widens and broadens. This is a quote from Thomas Merton. There is a reality that is present to us and in us. Call it being, silence, and the simple fact that by being attentive, by learning to listen, or recovering the natural capacity to listen, we find ourselves engulfed in such happiness that it cannot be explained. The happiness of being at one with everything in that hidden ground of care for which there can be no explanations. I 
think that's so beautiful. The happiness of being at one with everything, meaning we're fully embracing all that is occurring right in this moment, no matter what it is. The happiness of being at one with everything in that hidden ground of care for which there can be no explanations. Where does that care, where does that tenderness arise from? That hidden ground for which there can be no explanations. And he says, he ends with a blessing. May we all grow in grace and peace and not neglect the silence that is printed in the center of our being. It will not fail us. It will not fail us. This is the refuge that is stable, that is reliable, that ultimately in its inherent nature is permanent. But we can't even talk about permanence because permanence already brings us back into time. And this is timeless. It is here and now. So our practice to find this, to know this, to realize this ground, this ground of being that we are, this reality that we are, that in itself embraces all things without separation, without division. Let's sit for a minute or two. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.